Let's pray. Gracious God, may the light of your word be our life. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and even acceptable to you, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So a, a quick word of introduction to this passage uh, before I read. Uh, this is the lectionary passage for the day, and it comes from the Gospel of Mark, which I believe has been preached on here uh, recently in the past few weeks. This passage, starting in chapter 10, is a passage that begins with Jesus on a journey. This is a very particular journey. Jesus and his disciples are on the road to Jerusalem. In a lot of ways, Mark is a road story. It's, about, it's a story about the road to Jerusalem. There are some other road stories. Thelma and Louise is a road story. The Road is a road story. Motorcycle Diaries, that's a road story. The Lord of the Rings, that's a road story. Uh, Toy Story 3, that's a road story. You get the point. Mark is a road story. The action is happening along the way, on the road. It's part of the journey to Jerusalem. The action isn't driving towards tossing a ring into Mordor or running from the law or the inspiration for a communist revolution or toys coming to grips with loss and death, though there are certainly elements of that in this story. Or I should say, there are elements of this story and those stories. The journey to Jerusalem, though, has a very certain ending. It ends in Jerusalem with Jesus, dead on a cross, and all of those who had been following him, gone. By the time we get here, Jesus has predicted his death twice. And right after this passage, he will uh, predict it for a third time. This passage begins in the midst of this journey to Jerusalem, the journey to the cross. It's a very particular journey with a very certain ending. So listen for God's word to you this evening from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. As he, Jesus, was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. And you know the commandments. Uh, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not defraud, honor your mother and father. And the man said to him, teacher, I've kept all of these since my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing, go 
sell what you own, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. So when he heard this, he was shocked, and he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were perplexed at these words. Jesus said to them again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded, and and they said to one another, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, for humans, it's impossible. But not for God. For God, all things are possible. Then Peter began to say, well, look, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said to him, well, truly, I, I tell you, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or farms for my sake, for the sake of the good news, who will not receive 100-fold now in this age houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and children and farms with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last Many who are last will be first. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Children, it's hard to get into the kingdom of God. How hard is it? Well, it's impossible for us. Maybe not what you were expecting to hear from the guest preacher. Well, it's not what I was expecting to hear from Jesus, apparently it's not what anyone in this passage was expecting to hear. Shocked, astonished, astounded. Those are the reactions of those around Jesus in this passage, including the disciples who have been with the man for some time now. Clearly there is something going on here that is overwhelming and confusing. I must admit this passage is kind of overwhelming and confusing for me. And I'm really still trying to wrap my head around why anyone would think it would be a good idea to sew with a camel anyway. I I can't imagine how a camel would feel when you showed it a needle and said, I'm going to put you through that. It would probably just spit in your face and walk away. But it's really impossible, isn't it? It's a strange metaphor. It's all very perplexing. And I for one, and feel like I'm in good company with that, if you can call the disciples good company, though apparently it's not safe because no one is good but God. So really we're standing on some unsettled ground here. Camels through needles, no one is good, the rich are made poor, for humans it's impossible, the first will be last, it's very disorienting, it's very unsettled ground. This text, it defies easy explanation. It, it really just can't be tidied up. It's shocking. It's perplexing. It's 
astounding. And that's just how it's going to remain. And you know what? That's uh, exactly how the gospel is. Shocking, perplexing, astounding. That's what following Jesus of Nazareth is. Shocking, perplexing, astounding. This journey, this road, this way of life, the life, the ministry, the teachings, the miracles, the conflicts, the cross, the empty tomb, it's shocking, it's perplexing, it's astounding. And I think we learn something of our own stories here, our own lives, as they often come crashing up against the gospel, uh, they do so in shocking and perplexing and astounding ways. We find ourselves often on our knees before Christ, asking, what more can I do? We find ourselves looking at each other and, and scratching our heads, asking, well, then who can be saved? We lack something. Our journey through the Gospel of Mark is taking us pretty close to Jerusalem at this point. Uh, we will make our triumphant entry into Jerusalem with Jesus riding on a donkey at the beginning of the next chapter. It's slightly less weird than a camel, but perplexing nonetheless, especially when he's straddling two different, a donkey and a colt. <laughs> but uh, and we will quickly find ourselves asking more questions as Jesus is arrested and tried and hangs alone from the cross and is deserted by his followers, and then he cries out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's shocking. That's perplexing. It's frankly astounding. It's a lot of questions. What happened? How, how did we end up here? But I'm getting way ahead of myself, so I'm sorry. Um, here, a man, we are told, ran up and knelt before Jesus. Uh, in, the, in the written one, the non-digital one, uh, there are little headings above each passage of the Bible. This one is called The Rich Man. And I should say, in, in the original text, those headings aren't there. Uh, because, and so we don't know anything about this man. Uh, Mark has said nothing about this man's economic status. He has only said that a man ran up and knelt before Jesus. In Mark... This has only happened one other time, all the way at the very beginning of the first chapter of the gospel. He was a leper. Mark tells us that right away. A, a leper came to him, Jesus, begging and kneeling, asking to be made clean. Here, a, a man runs up and kneels before Jesus. Who is he? What does he want? He's not really very other here. At this point, he could be anybody. He could be us. He could be a leper. He's a ruler in Luke's version. He's young in Matthew's version. But Mark doesn't say. He doesn't let us jump to any conclusions about this man's status or character until the action unfolds a bit more. He's anybody. He's full of hope, ambition, a keeper of the law, it turns out. 
at least the big ones. He hasn't killed anyone. At this point in the story, knowing nothing of this guy except that he's on his knees paying respect to a sojourning rabbi, what can we say about him? Well, we can say that he's seeking something. He's in the position of one seeking healing, but he's not. Not that he knows of. He has a question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? So he, he must have heard something of the stories surrounding this traveling rabbi, Jesus. He's asking a question regarding religion, the way that you might ask one of your, your pastors, a question that's been keeping you up all night. Uh, so his interest in Jesus comes from what he believes Jesus knows, specifically what he thinks Jesus knows about how he can inherit eternal life. Now, Jesus has never said a single word about eternal life up to this point. He's mentioned the kingdom of God seven times, but the words eternal life have not yet left his lips. So we're beginning to learn a a bit about this man based on what he thinks Jesus knows and can offer him and how he asks the question. Listen to what he asks. What must I do to inherit? He's used to operating in a world where certain actions lead to certain results. It was a pretty common way of viewing things in the Jewish faith. You keep the covenant, you get blessings. You break the covenant, you you get curses. That's a pretty common way of viewing things in our society. You work hard, you, you do good, you prosper, you Achieve the American dream, even. You study hard, you go to college, you find a job, you pay off that $50,000 in student loans, you you buy a house, and there you go. Mm -hmm, Right. (laughs) You don't do your part. If you break the law, or you don't find a job, and you default on your loans, well, there's some negative consequences. But it's never so cut and dry in reality, is it? Uh, Aren't aren't there plenty of perfectly good and decent folks who just can't seem to catch a break? Aren't there plenty of good and decent folks outside this very building who can't seem to find a, a roof to sleep under? It is perhaps a luxury to believe that all you need to is to, to do the right things and you get, you inherit what you want. Here, Mark is is peeling away some layers. This man, this good man, this sincere man, looks at a world through a very privileged lens like many of us. And Jesus, he, he looks right back at him, right back at this man who bears all of the marks of a man blessed by God, the model man, the man of God who's got it all together. You know the person. Jesus looks at him, loves him, looking at him and loving him, Jesus sees right past this man's ability to follow the law and sees straight through to what he lacks. He's just like the others that come and kneel before Jesus seeking healing. Those others who are 
painfully aware of their lack. You know, the, the, the story of the paralytic lowered through the roof by his friends, the, the man with the withered hand, the, the priest's dead daughter, the hemorrhaging woman, the deaf man, the blind man, the man with the evil spirit, and now this man, with it all together, seemingly in complete control of his life, keeping all of the commandments, his whole life. What is it Jesus sees? What is it he lacks? Have a yard sale, Jesus tells him. It will probably need to be one of those weekend-long yard sales. Then give all of the money that you make to the poor. Become poor, just like them. Then come follow me. I do want to say, in the original text, the then, it's not there. It's just says, follow me. We like it to be chronological, but in the original, it's give all of your money to the poor, now follow me. It's happening at the same time. The man was shocked at this, the text tells us, and went away grieving. Why? Well, finally, Mark tells us, because he had a lot of stuff. Uh, I, I need to stop here for just a minute, and it's just a little minute, and I'm going to do one of those things that a visiting preacher gets to do, because I'm visiting, and I'm going to go back to my church next Sunday. <laughs> I'm going to make something plain here, and I promise I'm not going to say anything that the text doesn't, uh, and then I'm going to wrap this up. But I hear a lot of folks out there who are confused about this part where Jesus says, give all of your money to the poor and come follow me. I'm confused about a lot of parts of this text, like the camel and the needle, but this part seems pretty clear. There's not a metaphor here. It's not a parable. Jesus is speaking plainly to this man who wants to know what it takes to have eternal life. And this man has it all. He has power. He has status. He has righteousness. He's a good follower of the law. He is even polite and respectful to this traveling rabbi. And the disciples, I think they put it best, if this guy can't have eternal life, then who can be saved? But Jesus has a special place in his heart for those who know what it is that they are lacking and know that only he can fill it. He's here for the poor, for the imperfect. He loves this guy. I know he loves this guy. It says he loves this guy. But he's here for the poor, for those who lack, those who come seeking to fill what they lack and are aware of it. Jesus says, give your money to the poor because they need it and you need me. You need to give your money to the poor because they're vulnerable and I need you to see that you're vulnerable too so that you'll come follow me. Jesus means it. We can't explain that away. He says it three times. It's shocking. It's perplexing. It's astounding even but it's the heart of the good news. Okay. So I'm winding down here. (laughs) 
But just let me say, what is so plain here is that it, it's shocking, it, it, is that this guy, this guy is blind, paralyzed, deaf, possessed, hemorrhagic, and dead like the rest of the people who come seeking Jesus' healing. Like us, he just doesn't know what it is he lacks the way that they do. He doesn't even know what kind of healing Jesus is offering. Jesus, without touching the man the way that he did so many of the others that he healed, he, he puts his finger right on this guy's wound. He looks straight through it all and puts his finger right on what this guy lacks. And what is it? It's exactly what we all lack. It's what's impossible for humans and only possible for God. It's what we are all on this journey to discover. It's what we'll find in Jerusalem. Give up everything. Follow me. Take up your cross. Follow me. Follow me and come see. Jesus is saying over and over in Mark, we can't do anything to inherit eternal life. We can say with Peter, look, we've given up everything to follow you. And Jesus says to us, well, great. There's no one who has left house, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, children, and farms for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not get back all of those things and continue to suffer in this day. But that's not the point. Jesus isn't calling us to do anything He's asking us to recognize what we can't do. That we can't do anything to save ourselves. He's asking us to come follow him to the cross and see exactly that. To see what he's going to do for us. Something only he can do. He wants us to simply recognize. Recognize what he is offering and receive it. The passage right before this one. Jesus has all of these children gathered up in his arms and he looks right at his disciples. He looks right into our faces and into our lack and loving us. He says, it's to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Receive the kingdom of God like a child, like a little child. Just receive it. There's nothing we can do to receive eternal life. For us, it's impossible. But, but for God, all things are possible. The poor, the last in our society, those who come to Jesus aware of what they need, they're often able to see it first. Those in, who are first in society, those who are used to being in control, who think they have it all figured out, well, they just might be the last ones to get it. Jesus says, come follow me, see what I will do, see how I will experience your lack, see how I will even cry out, see how I will just give to you what you lack, your healing, your salvation, grace, come, see the tomb, it's empty, see what he has done for us, he's risen, I know, it's shocking. It's perplexing. It's astounding, really. Let's pray.